0: Good morning, everybody. Super good to see you. Um, aren't you, you know what, aren't you thankful for all the blessings you have? Like, you think about it, it's easy to get, it's easy to get really bummed out. It's actually really easy to get thankful, too, depending on how we posture our heart and what we gaze on. But um, can we are actually today, if you're going to a, got a Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 6. And this passage of Scripture is uh, like a... Like an epic one in my heart. So I'm really excited to preach on it this morning. Um, we the the mission or the vision of Blessed City, can you guys put up the vision statement for Blessed City? This is the core of one of the things I felt like God gave us for the church, and it was this: that we would be a church overflowing with God's presence, where we see the lost saved, culture transformed, and God exalted. Here's what that means. A church overflowing with, what, with God's presence. What, what am I talking about? Where God is exalted, seen, known, experienced, felt. That people come in contact, not just with a really nice, good-looking group of people, even though you are, you are. You're all really good-looking. But that they would come in contact with the people that have touched his heart, and that as you go out to work, as you come gather to worship wherever we are, people go, man. There's something here that's healing. There's something here that's different, and that different thing is Him, exalted, known, seen. You like that? Sound good? Yeah. That's what we're about. So anyway, uh, Isaiah six, chap chapter verse one, Isaiah chapter six verse one. The title of this message this morning is this, Seeing God When Everything Seems Lost. God, I just thank you that you're a God that um, is not far from each one of us, but actually you're near to each heart. In fact, you even said in your word that you're close to the humble and the broken in heart. You're near to all that call on you. And so, God, we desire to have humble hearts that could see and know you. I, I pray today that we would experience and encounter the living God, and from that place, God, would you open our eyes to all that you want to show us? And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Isaiah 6, starting at verse 1, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, there's a whole story there that you might not even know about, but King Uzziah is a super interesting guy. He ruled in Israel for a long time. And at the beginning of his reign, he started when he was 16 years old. And when he was 16 years old, his dad was still alive, but barricaded in another city called Lagash. And he was at the mercy of all of the advisors of that. So he was just a kid. He's not really in control of the country. And the enemies of Israel or Judah started, they took advantage of this moment and they started taking land away from Judah. They started pillaging and burning different towns. They, there was all this disaster that started happening all at the beginning. Uzziah's dad passes away and Uzziah becomes king. He immediately takes control and he starts fortifying the nation. He he starts building forts and and putting garrisons places to protect the people. And the country of Israel or Judah started to, kind of prosper. He, he built a harbor and through that harbor, they were able to get trade to different nations. And so the country started to get some prosperity. They started to get some safety. Things started to do better. In fact, as things kept going, he actually, the, the city of Jerusalem, the king of the northern tribe of, tribes of Israel had come and attacked Jerusalem earlier and they had broken down a bunch of walls. And so the city was devastated, broken down, and he went and he rebuilt the walls. He put big old towers in the corners. He he had siege weapons and different things that could hurl big stones across to attack the enemy. He was a strong king. He was the kind of guy that you have for your sports team if you're in the Pacific Northwest and you cheer for any of your sports teams you know that cheering for anybody in the Pacific Northwest was like, we're really excited when the Seahawks won because we are not used to having a lot of winning in the Northwest. (laughs) He was like the superstar that came along. He's the guy that came along and suddenly our team is winning. We're starting to do well. Things are going in the right direction. Then one day, Uzziah, he, um, he made a big fatal mistake. He started to let that kind of get to his head and he thought, you know, all the kings in the surrounding nations, they, they go into their temples and they sacrifice to their gods. I, I should be able to do that too, not just the high priest. I, I should do that too. And so he said this to the priest and he said, I'm going to go and sacrifice the temple. And they're like, you shouldn't do this. King, that's not for you. That's for The priests alone, you don't get to touch that. And he said, forget you guys, I'm doing it. He goes into the temple, goes to the altar. He starts to make a sacrifice. The priests come in to resist him and say, king, don't do it. The king turns to point his finger at the priests to yell at them and say, you can't tell me what to do. I'm the king. As he turns, he gets struck with leprosy. His hand gets all this leprosy and he starts to freak out and the priests are freaking out. Everyone rushes him out of the temple And he lives in seclusion till the day he dies. He gets separated, all of the success, all of this stuff in a moment. In a moment of pride, he lost the whole thing. He lives in seclusion and, and they honored the king and then in his death, they didn't even actually bury him with the other kings. He was buried in a separate place because he had leprosy. Moral of the story is, stay humble. But but in that, Isaiah 1, 6, 1, it says this, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Here's this guy, there was so much security, so much safety, everything seemed to work out, and he died, it's like the hope that we had, the, the, the superstar of our team, the one that we were like, man, he's got it, I, I He's died. What are we, we going to do now? And I think if you look at anyone's life in this room, I, I felt like what I was supposed to speak into this morning was the space of disappointment. Where that thing, that person, that whatever that you hoped in dies. It's in that moment that God wants to reveal to you himself. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It's it's kind of interesting though too because disappointment, there's kind of a hinge. You can, with disappointment, turn inward and try to comfort yourself. Or you can turn outward and turn your heart and attention to God. Uzziah, not Uzziah, but Isaiah had a hinge moment where he could have turned to sadness. And man, I, let's just remember the good old days. Let's just remember how the king rebuilt everything. Let's just, let's just sit in this space. Or he had an, a, an opportunity to turn his attention to God and lick, look unto him. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction or our trouble, so that we could be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God always brings comfort, but guess what? He brings it in his own timing. Sometimes we walk, or oftentimes we walk in the space of discomfort, questions, God, I don't understand, what's happening, and all we have is the whisper in our heart, trust me, don't move, I'm faithful, I got you, don't move, trust in me, wait on me, stay still, I got this, but the anxiety and the stress in it, we have a hinge moment where there's disappointment, frustration, struggle, and I can turn and say, I'm going to try to take care of this, or I'm going to try to comfort myself, or I'm going to try to fix this, or I can say, no, I'm going to trust in the God of all comfort that he really will come through. And I've learned this about this. When I have trusted God in those moments of discomfort, and when he brings the comfort into my heart, a loved one passes away, you lose a job, you're disillusioned about life, you're struggling with whatever it is. But when I say, God, I'm going to trust you. When he brings that comfort, it fills in so much deeper than anything I could have manufactured on my own. But it comes at his timing. Psalms 27, I love this. 13, it says, I love what David said. He's going through all sorts of troubles. And he says, I believe. This is in the midst of discomfort, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of disappointment. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. My story's not over yet. I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know how it's gonna turn out, but I believe. What do you have to prove for it? I know, it's in my guts. I know who God is. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Guys, this would be a perfect verse to say to yourself. Wait for the Lord. Trust him. He makes all wrong things right. Just hold on. You might not understand, but God is working in and through and around you as you trust him. Seek him. You will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. Don't let disappointment rule the day. In James chapter, at the end of James, it says that the enemy goes around, that's Satan, like a roaring lion, seeking how he can devour. I don't think those roars are all just intimidation of fear. I think sometimes those roars are roars of doubt, roars of disappointment, roars of shame, condemnation, roars of things that you feel in your emotions that hit your heart heavy and you're moved in your heart. But there's something that God says in all of that. He says, wait for me. Trust in me. Don't let your emotions rule you. Let my word rule you. Trust that I am who I say that I am. In the middle of the disappointment when nothing has changed yet, I was processing through this. What do do we do with disappointment? And I think there's one really strong thing that we can do that we're all going to do together, and you're going to find that you, you notice a difference in your heart after we do it. The first thing we can do is we can speak out the promises of God. Can you go to the next slide, Desmond? Amazing Desmond on the computer. Can you all read this with me? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Can we read it again and read it like it's for you? Ready? Ready? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I don't know how it's going to work itself out for good. I don't know when it's going to work itself out for good. But I know that I'm called because he picked me and I know I love him. So that means he's going to work it out for good. Hello? Hello? Let's let's do the next one. Put this next one up. Oh, yeah, let's read this one. Read this out with me. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But those who what? Wait. Those who stop. That's scary. That means you're not doing anything. That means you're stopping in all of your creativity, effort, and energy and saying, I don't know what to do about my job. I don't know what to do about this relationship. I don't know what to do with this or that. I I don't have the answers. And God's like, bingo. Why don't you wait on me? Why don't you wait for my answer? Why don't you wait for my plan? Trust me. Wait on me. Your strength will be renewed if you wait on me. Let's go to the next one. That one's really good, but we're going to go to the next one. (laughs) Uh, Let's read this together. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He really will. God promises that he will supply all of your needs as what? You trust him, as you wait on him, as you say, God, not my way, God, your way, I surrender to your plan. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. I think this is really important, but what you speak really matters. Your, your, your little thoughts, that you, your little words you say to yourself in the car when you think no one's listening. Those words that you say to your spouse that you didn't think were a, bit, a big deal, but they were complaining, they were irritated, they were down. That impacts them, that impacts you, that impacts what you look at. When I speak out the word of God, my eyes get shifted to focus there on him. And I don't know about you, but my eyes wander I'm really good at seeing a billion things and then it's easy to lose sight of the one that actually can give the answer. But when I speak out God's word, it reorients my brain and my eyes to go, oh yeah, him. He's in charge. I forgot. Speak the word of God aloud. If they think you're crazy, who cares? It's worth it because we want to orient our hearts around truth, not what we just feel. Faith is not emotion. Faith overcomes my emotion and transforms my emotion. It's just because I feel something strongly doesn't make it true. Because God said it, that's what makes it true. And as I commit my words and my actions to what he said, I'll start to see it. One, speak the promises of God. Two, talk. I, I, uh, this is always a fun story, but I, I, I don't know about you, but I, my parents grew up telling me, I know my wife has this story too, that her parents grew up telling her that you can talk to Jesus, he's your friend. You can tell him anything, he loves to listen. And guys, I think that's super important for each one in this room to recognize and remember, he loves to listen to you. He loves to hear your cries in the night when you feel like nobody cares and nobody wants to listen. And God values your voice. He values what you have and he is happy to listen to you all day long. Now, I promise you, he has some really good things to say too, so maybe we need to hear him. But I promise you, our God loves to listen to us. Take time. Maybe you would love to journal. Journal it. Maybe you like to write music, write it. But sit and make space to say, God, here is my heart, here's my guts, here's my dreams, my hopes, my fears, frustrations, all of it. I remember at at the wise old age of 11, I was laying in bed. I was very wise when I was 11. It's kind of worn off by now, but anyway. And I remember I went to middle school and there was this girl I thought was cute. And I was sitting in bed and I went, God... And I'm going to, am I going to marry so-and-so? And, and I don't recommend that, that you do this all the time, but it worked this one time. I went, and no joke, the word, I landed my word, my finger landed on the words, another girl. <laughs> I was like, that's really cool. Let's try it again. And it didn't work. But, but God loves to hear our voice. He loves to hear our voice. He loves it when we cry out to him and we share what's in our heart. And when we share his heart, he's like, oh, let me share my heart with you. Speak out the promises of God. Pour out your heart to God. Number three, give. In the place of disappointment, in the place of frustration, in the place of lack, I want to encourage you to give. And I do mean money. And I do mean time. And I do mean encouragement when you don't feel encouraged. And I do mean prayer when you need prayer. See, there is a place that we can come to in God when we understand he will supply all of our needs. That means in this moment, I don't feel like my needs are met, but that means if I have more than enough, I can be a blessing to somebody. And I mentioned the money thing because we have so much emotion tied around our money. And often, folks, I think our money is ruling us, not us using our our money as a tool for our life. When you give away your money, which is often one of the hardest things to do, you are saying to God, when you give it, say, God, I'm investing in your church, I'm investing in your people, I'm giving to the poor. You are saying, God, you are my source, not my paycheck. When you give to God, you're saying, God, I'm trusting that, You will take care of me, that you are the leader of my life, even though I don't see everything all yet. Money then becomes a tool, not your master. And folks, so many of us and so many of us in our culture are slaves to money. We're working for money. If only I had this, I could do. Folks, that then is the boss, not you. That then is the boss, not God in your life. God promised that he would supply all of your needs according to his riches, not your company's riches, his riches. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says this. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds, can you pop that up, Des? Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get only a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Next slide. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Isn't that good? Nobody needs a salesman to try to tell them they have to do something. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, I'm not up here trying to rustle you up so Bless the City gets $300,000. I am saying this, though, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. What I give to, whether that's yourself, whether that's something else, whether that's entertainment, whether that's food, whether that's whatever, vacations, whatever, whatever I invest in is where I'm going to get a harvest. That is where I'm going to get a return on my investment. Are you investing in God's kingdom? Are you investing in what God prioritizes? Because if you do, you're going to get a return on your investment from God. If I only invest in myself, I'm only getting investment here. God loves it that we would be cheerful givers. And if we're cheerful givers, God automatically will work. God will automatically do things in our hearts. I also find that when I give to what God values, I start caring about what God values. You know, I'll say this not to make you guys feel sorry for me or, or actually, no, I just, this is more of a testimony. Two years ago, um, we were getting, we were getting a salary of about 600 bucks a month from the City. Not, that's our main source of income. And we were like, okay, we know what we're supposed to do. God wants us to do this, but we made a point in our hearts to remain generous towards God and generous towards people. We have consistently, I can say this as myself and my wife, we have made it a point in our lives that we always give 10% of our income to God. That's 10% saying, God, this isn't our money. This is yours. In fact, it's all his. He lets us keep 90%. Hello? But God, we're giving you 10% because our lives, the leadership of our life is yours, Folks, I have never in my life, my parents taught me tithing when I was like eight. I have never in my life experienced lack. Yes, we've been poor. Yes, there were times that we felt like we didn't, couldn't do a lot of things. We wanted to do fun stuff or whatever. But all along, God has always provided more than enough for everything we've needed every single time. Folks, if you are generous towards God, he is generous towards you and your money should not rule you, but you should rule your money. Another piece, I, I felt like speaking this too out to marriages today. Maybe you feel like you're not getting what you deserve in your relationship. Maybe you feel like it's not like, ah, this, this is not one sided. How many know that as you invest generously in the world around you, in your spouse God will bring a harvest. Don't ever make this about what I deserve. Realize that as you sow into others, as you sow into God's kingdom, as you sow encouragement, there will be a harvest if you do not give up. We don't give because of someone like they've earned it. We give because it's who we are and because of what God sees in that person. I value you, so I'm giving. I value this city, so I invest in it. I value the work of God, so God, here you go. Here's my income. And in that right relationship of giving God my resources, the disappointment the frustrations, the struggles, all of it. I'm like, God, I, I, I can lay that down because I can trust in you. I was listening to a guy talk yesterday. He owed, as a 25-year-old, this is a bunch of years ago, $200,000. He started a ministry on $200,000 and he didn't know what to do. And his father-in-law encouraged him and says, I think you need to give. Now, I'm not trying to tell everybody right now to sell their homes and give their money to bless the city. So please don't hear me on that, okay? But what he realized in that moment is there was no way that he was going to fix his problems. There was no way that he was going to have enough resources to fix it. So you know what he did, though? He said, well, we don't have enough money, so I guess we're going to give into to God what God cares about. So he actually gave the money that he had, which he didn't have enough anyway, and he invested in other ministries and other places and said, God, would you bless and work them? Within eight months, God dealt with the debt. It worked out. God was faithful. Why? Because the ministry and all that he had wasn't his anymore. And he was trusting God. God, have your way in my life, in my ministry, in my family. Folks, all of our resources, all that we have, if it's we are stewards of it and giving it to God in that space, then God can do whatever he wants with what he has. And he promises to always take care of us. You guys still good? You you with me? All right. Number one, speak the promises of God. Two, share your heart with God. He loves to hear from you. Number three, give, bless. Need encouragement? Be an encouragement. Need finances? Bless somebody. God will be faithful to you. The struggle, though, in Isaiah's heart, in all of this, though, he's sitting there and he's like, The nation is in a a scary place. We've just lost our king. We don't know how this new king is going to be. The throne is empty. He looks and he's like, who's going to lead our nation? And in that year, in the year that King Uzziah died, he sees the Lord. And where is the Lord? On a throne. God opens his eyes to realize God was in control the entire time who he thought was the one saving the day, all of that it, all of that didn't matter because in the end, the king of kings, the Lord of lords is on the throne. Guys, he's on the throne. We don't need to care who's in the white house if we know who's in the, way, the great white throne. He really is in control. Our hope really is in him. We can trust in his leadership. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, that's, that's a weird verse if you don't know anything about kings. Now, kings have trains. And a train was like the end of this robe that would kind of flow off of them. And it represented their glory. It represented their greatness. It represented how amazing and wonderful they are. And it says in Isaiah 1, the train of his robe filled the temple. God was trying to show Isaiah, I am so glorious. I'm so amazing. I'm so awesome. I'm so terrifying. I'm so beautiful. It fills the temple. I heard a preacher say a little while ago, a guy named John Piper. He said, if I have a basketball in this hand, and you're blind or you had your eyes closed, I could describe it to you. I could tell you it's round, it's made of rubber, you can bounce it, and if you've never seen it before, you can bounce it and you shoot it at these things called hoops that goes in and then you do it again and we play this game called basketball and you can get a picture in your head of what a basketball looks like. But if I said the word beauty, I I can't just describe it to you. I can't tell you this is the shape of beauty. I can't tell you you know, beauty weighs this much. Beauty, I can point to. I can look at a painting and say, that's beautiful, a sunset. That's beautiful, a person. Wow, that's beautiful. I can, I can point to a baby. Wow, that's beautiful. I, I can point to things and say, that is an example. That's an example. That's an example. That's an example. That's an example of beauty. And it's the same when he says the glory of God. I can't take a weight and a shape and say, here is God's glory. But what I can do is point to examples of the glory of God in the wind outside because his voice is like a rushing watery wind. To to the lightning crack because it says that around his throne there's these flashes of lightning. To a rainbow because it says there's this there's this bright light of the rainbow luminance of God that surrays the, the throne. There's this sea of glass, it looks like, and it's got this fieryness in it all around the throne. The, the, the Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls. The bravery of a soldier, the love of a mother, the, the tenderness of a little baby, the care of a nurse, the commanding presence of a great leader. The awe you feel when you stand on the top of a mountain after a climb. The terror you feel if you're in the water with a shark. The peace you feel as you lay in a hammock on a summer day. The joy you feel as you laugh with friends. The rest you feel as you sit and share a meal with family. All of these are hints of who God is. It's hints of his glory. It's hints of his presence. It says this, that Isaiah, he saw the Lord high and exalted, And the train of his robe filled the temple. And his next thing happened is this. Above him stood these creatures. They were called seraphim. Six, they each had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. With two, they covered their face and said, he's too holy to look at. He's too perfect to look at. With two, they covered themselves and it wasn't about them. It was about humility. It was about he, he is worthy. It's not about showing off what I have. It's about about him. And with two, they flew. They were ready for service. And this is the nature of the servants of God that he sends. One, he is holy. He is worthy. He is perfect. Two, it's not about me. Three, God, I'm ready. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want to take me. And these seraphim called to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And it's interesting, they were calling to each other, and that's actually partly what we're called to do as believers, to call, look at each other and say, perfect, perfect, perfect is the Lord God Almighty. Let's think about him. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful is the Lord God Almighty. Sinless, sinless, sinless is the Lord God Almighty. He's amazing. And they called to each other who God was, declaring who He was. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the voice was filled with smoke. And I said, and you and I would do all the same Woe is me. In other words, I'm doomed, for I'm lost for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In Isaiah's recent me- memory was King Uzziah coming into the throne and his hand getting stretched out because he-, he got covered in leprosy because he went where he should not have gone. A guy earlier named Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant to steady it and he was killed on the spot. God is a terrifying Powerful God. He's like walking into a nuclear reactor. Bad idea. It's a bad idea. And Isaiah then, it says this, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. With all my heart, I believe that this speaks of Jesus. He is the living stone. He is the sacrifice on the altar given for you and I that we could approach. And the seraphim, the servant of God, takes tongs from the altar, rushes over to Isaiah and says, See, your sin is paid for. Your your guilt is atoned for. I says, Touch your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. My mom, um, she has a really good friend. Um, She lived in Croatia before the war, before World War II, or after World War II during communism. She ended up fleeing, had a whole whack of things go wrong. She ended up getting raped by a guy and then ended up, um, getting pregnant by him. Her parents forced her to get an abortion. Then, after that, she f- fled over into Western Germany, got caught and brought back into communism, fled again, found the love of her life at Bible school, met him on her honeymoon night. She got bit by a mosquito. The mosquito gave her a weird disease. She was always out of energy, having a hard time. They were walking along the beach one day, and a lawn chair got picked up by the wind and smacked her in the face, put her in the hospital for a little while. Weird, crazy stuff. She was walking with God one day, she was walking by herself one day towards a bridge and she said this, you know, God, I love my husband. I, I love, you know, I'm thankful that you brought me out of communism and I'm here I am, but I don't wanna live anymore. This is just too hard. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed. She's, she's stuck and she's walking up to this bridge and she says in her heart, She's got a book, too. I should get those books here. She says in her heart, I think I'm just going to jump off this bridge. I think I'm going to kill myself. And right then, in that moment, she hears the voice of God in her heart say this. I want you to start a women's magazine for me. Hold on, God. I was just telling you how depressed I was. (laughs) I'm hurting right now. Don't you care? Hey, I want you to start a women's magazine for me. Isaiah from the place of disappointment, from the place of confusion, what's gonna happen? What's gonna, I don't know what to do. God then goes, Here I am. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And when I saw the Lord, I wasn't impressed or depressed with myself or my situation. I forgot about me. In fact, I was like, Oh no, I'm doomed. And then I'm reminded Jesus paid the price for me. He purged the sin from my heart as I gave him the leadership of my life. And now I stand before him accepted. And now he says, who am I going to send? I think sometimes we're waiting for our healing, our transformation, everything to be made right before we obey the voice of God. And God wants you and I to answer the call and say, here I am, send me. I'm your servant, have your way in my life. Isaiah, he sees God, he's shaken to the core. Two, he realizes his need. And three, God gives him a task. How do you deal with disappointment? We need to turn our eyes to him. We need to speak out the promises of God. We need to share our heart with him. We need to invest in what God's investing in, saying, God, I give you the leadership of my life. Here's my cash. I trust you. And in that space of surrender to him, God, it's yours. I trust you. I give you my life. I give you my heart, all that I am. He will speak to my heart. He will speak to your heart. And he'll say, who am I going to send? Can I send you? Hey, Nick, can you come on up? Last thing, Psalms 23. uh, We're reading this on Wednesday. We have a prayer night, prayer and worship night on Wednesday nights here at six. And God struck me with something I had never seen before. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me. Besides still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I realized something that he leads me besides still waters. That's, That's the place of his Holy Spirit. That's the place of his healing. That's the place where we find rest for our soul. And he's like, let me speak to you. Just stay with me, rest in me. But what's interesting is right alongside of those rivers is a path. It's the paths of righteousness. That's his way and his word. That's him saying, God, I'm going to live my life. And he says, walk in this way. Walk in my path. If you walk in my path, right next to you is going to be a still water. Stay next to me. You'll find healing. But here's the part I didn't like. Didn't like this part. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Sometimes that path goes right through a valley. Sometimes that path, it says it's the shadow of death. It also says the place of the shadow of darkness, the place of darkness. You don't see, you don't know. Things die, people die, things go wrong. You're on the path. You're doing what you know you should do. I'm walking in the path and everything's getting dark. And God says, stay on the path. Trust me in the path. Don't leave the path. There's water right next to you. Stay on the path. I'll heal your heart. I'll deliver you from evil. Stay on the path. Don't leave the path. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Wait on my voice. Stay on the path. And as you stay on the path, it keeps going down. It's getting a little darker. And you're like, God, where are you? And he just says, stay on the path. God, it's kind of dark and it's kind of scary. Stay on the path. My water's right there. Keep drinking from my word. Keep worshiping me. Keep coming to me. Trust me with your finances. Trust me with your relationships, your marriage, your life. Trust me. Surrender it to me. Keep giving because you will reap a harvest. Just stay on the path. Psalms 24 I realized something. In verse 3, it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. On the other side of the valley is a hill. We walk into the valley, but we don't stay in the valley. We keep walking. And at some point, the climb starts moving up and we realize we're ascending the hill of the Lord. And as I've been staying on this path, and as he's been healing my heart next to these waters, I find that my hands are clean, not because I was really good and pious, but but he's been washing me this whole time. He's been changing my desires this whole time. He's giving me a pure heart as I stay on the path. How do we deal with disappointment? We speak out the promises of God. We share our heart with him and we give him the leadership of all that we hold dear, staying on the path into the valley and up the other side. Can you just stand on up with me? I've been standing a long time. You should stand too. Want to put, why don't we? Can we just make this whole place an altar? Maybe, maybe you want to kneel before God, maybe you want to stand, maybe you actually you want to sit back down. But let's just for a moment, just you and the Lord, maybe you want to lift your hands, maybe you want to bow, close your eyes, put a hand on your heart. God, we we uh we come in this space of recognizing that disappointment, frustration, and pain can take up a lot of heart space. Good shepherd. I pray for each person here today. We come against disappointment and we fix our eyes to you, the one that supplies our needs, the one that's the leader of our heart. Yeah, can we? I think we've all had disappointment in this in the last seasons, a different one. Can we just kind of put our hands out in front of us? Just in in receiving mode. Lord, we. We give to you every aspect of our heart and our life. God, we give to you our finances, our marriages, the losses we've experienced, the pain we've experienced. And I think the Lord's call to each one of us here today is, would you get on the path? Would you stay on the path? I will provide your every need. I will supply everything you need. Just stay close to my heart. So God, we we just come right now and we recognize our need to stay near to you. And I, I pray, God, for anyone here where money has been their pursuit or the thing they've run after. God, I pray that they would trust you, that you are the God that supplies more than what we need, that you always supply all of our needs. To the marriage that's struggling in this room and they feel like it's never fair, God, I thank you, God, that you're a God that does makes all wrong things right so we can serve knowing that you will make things right. We pray, God, for health in marriages today, health in relationships today. And, God, for anyone in this room that's been walking in the valley, oh, God, Holy Spirit, thank you for your reminders of walking on the path, the still water that's next by. We are asking God for your healing touch on each heart today. Your deliverance to each heart. We love you, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Hey, we're going to read our benediction, and then I'm going to let you go. If you want to come forward for prayer, I'd love that. But Desmond, if you could put that up there. This is going to be our cry for a little bit, but let's pray this together. Today we pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Next slide. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to worship here for a little bit. Come and seek the Lord bless you. Have an incredible week.